This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Hello and welcome to Killer Queens, a true crime podcast. I'm your host, Torella. And I'm your better, prettier, younger host, Tori. We're sisters who are obsessed with true crime and love gal palin with you about cases. You can expect the occasional curse word, lots of friends quotes, and all the 90s nostalgia. To get in on the conversation, check us out at killerqueenspodcast.com. You can also find us on Instagram and Facebook at Killer Queens Podcast. And we're on YouTube at Killer Queens, a true crime podcast. Okay, y'all, grab your Capri Suns or your Surge and let's talk about some true crime. Hey, dudes. Hey, guys. I'm just going to go ahead and warn you. I might cry. <laughs> wow. You are you got a lot of feelings about the crying. Tori doesn't really cry. No, I never cry. I take pride in the not crying. Mm-hmm. She's not dead that- inside. <laughs> Almost. I don't know why that is because crying is a sign of strength, not weakness. But for me, I've always been like, you know, I can't remember what it, the show is or what the clip is, but it's a single tear coming on. It's like, you get back in there. Like, <laughs> that's me. Yeah. And I'm just like, literally, I cry eight times before 8 a.m. every day. Yeah. You're just a blubbering fool yeah. <laughs> all day long. <laughs> I'm just like, Ooh. yeah. I'm telling you, though, Steve Irwin has a piece of my heart and I can't deal with it. So listen, you guys, this is not technically a murder unless you want to consider the stingray a murderer, which we do. Yes. First of all, a crime happened. Yeah. A crime happened against humanity. Mm -hmm. And, but it's episode 200. Oh my gosh. Can you believe it? Yeah. We wanted to do something like really cool. And sweet baby Mark was like, what if we did just like you know, somebody iconic and like talked about them and just somebody that everybody loves. And we were like, that's great. Yes, we love this. We absolutely love this. We cannot promise, of course, to not do some crikeys. Isn't she a beauty? Yep. Sheila. Don't muck with it. (laughs) That kind of thing. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So trigger warning, sadness. Yeah. And um, bad Australian accents. If either of those things or something that you cannot handle, which we understand yeah. heavy on the uh, the bad accents. But yeah, uh, yeah, we want to go ahead and apologize to our Australian listeners. Yeah. Sorry. Y'all. Well, anyone who has ears, basically. But well, yeah, that's true. That's true. But yeah, so we wanted to we wanted to do Steve Irwin. Thanks to Mark for writing this little baby up. Yes. And thanks to him for suggesting it, right? Yes. Yeah. And we hope that, you know, you guys just enjoy the episode. It brings yeah. you back. For some little babies, they might be learning about Steve Irwin for the first time. Oh, my gosh. Can you even believe it? No. He's such a fixture in my life that I cannot believe that people wouldn't know about him. But I know. And then, like, okay, well, we'll talk about it. Yeah, let's talk about it. Okay. All right. So, of course, today's episode is a little different. But we really wanted to talk about Stephen Robert Irwin. Steve was born on February 22nd, 1962, which also happened to be his mom, Lynn's birthday. And Steve was born to Lynn and Bob Irwin in 
Upper Fern Tree Gully, Victoria, Australia. He was literally born in Fern Gully. Was that like, I didn't know that at, obviously at the time of watching the movie, but like, because nobody in the movie is Australian. No, there is not one Australian accent and it's set in Australia. Okay, because I was like, is it supposed to be set in Australia? Yes. Well, you know, in the 90s, they were just like, no, we. this is just what's happening. Like, yeah, we're going to get Tom the actors we We're going to get Robin Williams. Yeah, just, that's all we need. This is how we're going. Yeah. Yes. I am 100% going to watch Fern Gully in the near future. Oh my gosh, great movie. <sighs> okay. <laughs> Remember the part when Robin Williams' baddie is like… <laughs> Humans, they have big, big <laughs> bottoms that they wear with bad shorts and they walk around going, Hi, Helen. <laughs> it's the best. <laughs> so funny. And Trilla, who was the bad guy? I think that that part was played by Baguan. <laughs> yeah. They brought him in specifically for just that one part. So many. Yes. <laughs> he did scare the shit out of me, though. But Tim Curry, man, what a voice. Oh. Great. Yeah. Okay. Hold it off. So, Steve was the older brother to Joy and Mandy, and from an early age, he was raised to love animals. Steve's father was a wildlife expert and a herpetologist. Sure. Which is a branch of zoology that focuses on reptiles and amphibians. His mother, Lynn, was a wildlife rehabilitator, and when Steve was still young, the family moved to Queensland, where they opened the Queensland Reptile and Fauna Park. For young Steve Irwin, this was like living inside of a Walt Disney World. And at a very young age, Steve was essentially an employee at the park. He would clean out the areas where the animals were kept. He fed the reptiles and basically did whatever he could to be near the animals. He was drawn to the reptiles, though. It's almost like he had a sixth sense that just connected him to them. The family started the park from pretty much nothing and lived in a caravan for the first few years of the park's existence. The first snakes they had on display were hand-caught by Bob and Steve out in the wild when they were out fishing. Nope. Yeah, I can't. I don't know. I've always kind of been, well, I've I've always been an animal lover. I was always, I can't imagine what it was like for dad. I'm like, I got a new pet. (laughs) Here's my new cat, you know? Yeah. I don't do the amphibians. Well, frogs. I don't mind a frog. Yeah, you'll touch a frog. I will touch a frog. I had a salamander at one point. Oh, yeah. I don't touch shit like that. (laughs) Mm -mm. Snakes is where I kind of draw the line. I won't, I don't mind if it's like some body snake that they have purchased from a store or something, but I'm not like, hey, look at that snake. I'm going to pick it up. Yeah, I don't, I don't believe in snakes as pets. <laughs> I mean, I just, you know, they freak me out. And also like, don't they eat people? They can. Or your pets or whatever. Have you not seen anaconda? Oh, well, exactly. That's what I'm saying. Every, they like every snake to me. Like, I don't think snakes scream, but what do I know, you know? Yeah, that was weird. Yeah, but definitely like every snake becomes an anaconda in my mind. Just like (laughs) will swallow me whole. No problems. And I feel like it's kind of like how we do with spiders. If I see a spider, every time I tell the story, it gets at least four inches bigger. Yeah. 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 But as a child, Steve was full of energy, and I'm sure that comes as a surprise to everyone. (laughs) What? (laughs) I know, right? He was always full of energy, it seemed. He was mischievous, but not in a bad way. He wouldn't get in trouble or anything at school, but he would try his parents' patience because he thought he would just like disappear sometimes. He would set out 
to, or they would set out to find him and discover that he was down by the river catching frogs, snakes, and lizards. Steve's family said that from an early age, Steve had an uncanny skill when it came to climbing trees. So many times he would go missing. They would just look up. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Yeah. Check the trees. Like, it's so crazy. Like, could you imagine? Okay. Because seeing his energy as Mm -hmm. an adult, could you imagine that being your child? Mm -hmm. Holy shit. I'm imagining it being very much like the wild thornberries and the, uh, yeah. yeah, the youngest son. I cannot think for anything what his name is. I can't either. come for me about it. I cannot remember his name, but yeah, that is 100% what I think. Yeah. Steve was like as a kid. I know. He's just so like, and even as an adult, he just had that like wonder of a child, you mm-hmm. know? Like, it's just crazy. I know. When Steve was six years old, his parents gave him a 12-foot-long python as a present. Nope. Right. <laughs> going to eat you in a second. Exactly. And Steve was beyond excited. He loved spending time with his new best friend. At school, Steve became known to his classmates as their own wildlife expert. At recess and free times, he would wander around looking for lizards, birds, snakes, anything to show everybody. After a while, the other children in his class got involved and would help him look for creatures during their lunch breaks. From a very early age, Steve Irwin was able to draw a crowd and try to educate them on the thing he loved the most, which was animals. When Steve was nine years old, the park had been established for a while and had several small reptiles on display. This is when Bob decided that the next step for the park was to bring in crocodiles. So Steve and Bob went out one night in a small boat with just an outboard motor on the back. Never heard of her. Don't know what that is. I'm imagining even rude. (laughs) You know, we're just the like, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> there's the little motor on the back <laughs> in rescuers down under yeah, yeah well see? yeah i think even rude was in the first one though oh you're right you're right but it's still no i yeah. love it i love it though he was the best part of that movie because that one was oh my god he was so cute <laughs> even rude <laughs> and then they give him the the stuff in the jug with the x's on it and it gets him puts a little pep in his step yeah <laughs> Okay, so Steve sat in the front with a spotlight and Bob operated the motor and it took pretty much everything Bob had to keep Steve in the boat. When they were cruising along though, Steve spotted what he thought was a smaller croc and he immediately jumped in on top of it and he grabbed it around the neck and that's when he realized that the quote unquote smaller croc was actually the same size as he was and way, way stronger. That is terrifying. So Bob (laughs) keeps his cool. He watches and he's like, hey, well, hang on a second. Let's see what happens here. And then he was like, nope, nope, nope. I got to get him out. So with one arm, Bob scoops Steve and the crocodile into the boat. And then he pins the croc down with his body. And while he was doing this, Steve shook off any fear or hesitation over what happened. He immediately jumps on the croc to pin it down with a huge smile on his face. Bob goes back to the motor. They make their way home. I mean. Nine. Nine years old. Yeah. I also heard, though, that like, what did you hear? Obviously, crocodiles are very strong, right? Yeah. But I read that, like, if their mouth is closed, you can hold their mouth closed with your hands because they're they're very weak to open their mouth. Their strength is in the biting down. Mm, makes sense. Sure. Yeah. Like so a bear like, trap. Yeah. So, like, if they were trying to open their mouth again by themselves, but they've got just your bare hands over it, they can't open it back up. I mean, that makes sense. So, once you get it pinned down and mouth closed— you should be okay. Again, like, that's a no from me, dog. But, like, I mean, that's, that's gutsy. Yeah. 
I would never because I don't even fuck with way less dangerous things. I mean, do you know how like hateful squirrels are? I don't. Mm-mm. You know I don't saying? even like look a squirrel in the eyes. Oh hell no. Uh uh-uh. uh. Especially not that ornery <sighs> old ass squirrel at Dad's house. He's still alive because hell's not ready for him yet. Exactly. I mean, he literally has chased us out of the yard. <laughs> Just fussing the whole way. Yeah. Like, chittering, like, <laughs> get off my lawn. I yeah. know. He's so mean. <laughs> so if you can imagine the fear from the squirrel times 11 billion, mm-hmm. it would be for a crocodile. I don't think so. But God bless Steve Irwin and Bob. I know. I know. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it... <clears throat> a real POS. You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. So then, in the 70s, crock attacks on humans were being reported more and more frequently around Australia. And by this point, the park had several more crocs. And Bob decided he should get involved, try to ease the fears that people had about these crock attacks. So he joined the East Coast Crocodile Management Program. He and Steve set out to help however they could. This mostly involved intervening when a crock had been reported. So when they were told about a crock in an area with people, They'd go out and relocate it, trying to avoid as many croc versus human attacks as possible. And like, because, okay, the crocs live here, right? Like, this is like where they live. Yes. But then people come in and they're like, this croc got to fucking go. This is dangerous. Yeah, absolutely. But it is set for the croc. Yeah, I know. It's like, but I was here first. Like, this is where I'm supposed to be. But yeah, yeah. I just put in a pool and now you guys are. Yeah. What's this? Yeah. Yeah, what's happening here? Uh-uh. I pay my mortgage every month. What the fuck? <laughs> yeah. Right. So at least they were relocating them because the other option, you know, is like not good for the crocodiles. Sure. Of course. And it was during this time that it became apparent to Bob and everyone else that Steve was different. I think. I feel like. They had to have known before this. that. Right? Yeah. <laughs> but at this point, they're realizing like people are already like, okay, he's fearless. But it wasn't just this that he relied on the most when he was dealing with animals. He knew what they were capable of. He respected them. And he seemed to have like a God-given gift for locating and capturing crocs. Like that was like a very specific gift that he had. Mm -hmm. And he loved it. And he would get absolutely like captivated, zoned in on capturing the crocs. And it was almost like he was getting ready to fight them one-on-one. Like I remember like, you know, watching Crocodile Hunter and he's like amped up Mm -hmm. and like he's crouching and he's getting ready. You know, he's just like, it's just crazy. 
Yes. And then he's like beaming from ear to ear. Yeah. Yeah. Is it she a beauty? Yeah. Yes. And then he'd always be like, you know, he'd catch this giant fucking crocodile and be like, that's a good boy. Like, who's uh, a good boy? Like, yes. talking to them like they're these teeny little puppies. Like, yes. he loved them. Mm-hmm. By the time he was in his late teens, he was quickly becoming well-known around Australia for his skills. He would spend days out in the bush living off the land and water and just stalking and capturing one single croc. It was during this time that the legend of the crocodile hunter began to take shape. One story revolves around Steve and a croc named Agro, nicknamed Agro. Bob had been contacted about this croc that would quietly and sneakily swim up near boats in the river and then pop out at the right moment, scaring anybody nearby. That's a skill. I think that he could have done that pretty well. Yeah, sure. He's like, I'll pop out at the right moment. (laughs) He's like, surprise. (laughs) It was a creek near cattle farms and the local farmers were just, they were just like, well, we'll just shoot him. Like, I don't want to deal with this anymore. And that was probably the worst thing ever for Steve to hear. Exactly. So Bob was like, okay, what if we do something different? So he planned on going upriver, trying to locate Agro. He would put a marker for Steve to come back later and then set up a trap to capture him. And it wasn't difficult for Bob to locate him. And after he did, he places the marker for Steve. So then Steve goes back to where the marker was in a boat with his dog, Suey. Mm-hmm. And he Ooh, said that, Suey. I know, like, God, they had that dog forever. Mm-hmm. But he said that while he was there setting the trap, he had a really uneasy feeling like something was watching him or stalking him. And I mean, crocodiles are, they know what the hell they're doing. Yeah, they're stealthy bitches. I mean, my God. Yeah. yeah. So his boat gets bumped and Suey starts barking. And then Steve sets up the trap like he just hurries up and they GTFO, of course, because like <laughs> not trying to get eaten today. The next thing they do is wait. So two days go by. And nothing disturbs the trap. And then on the third day, he goes to the area and he sees that the trap is completely submerged and the bait is gone. As he approached, he reached out, he grabbed the netting to pull it aboard the boat. And when he was doing this, there was a huge bump from below the boat. And then another and another, it's getting like more forceful. He managed to hang on to the net and he continued to pull it aboard. And he got Agro's tail on board, but that's when the rest of Agro's body shot out of the water. At the right moment, (laughs) he's got impeccable timing. Yes, he does. He lands beside Steve in the boat. Steve and Suey both GTFO that boat. They're like, bye, gone. Mm -mm. So Steve starts reaching for anything and any, like anything and everything, anything and anything and anything and anything (laughs) he can get. That's not the saying, anything and everything. (laughs) And anything. And anything, yeah. Mm -hmm. So he's like reaching for branches, netting, handfuls of mud, like anything he can to cover the croc's head and eyes, which I would not know to do that. Like there's so many things that like Steve Irwin has gotten himself in pickles that like teach you, you know, I mean, that was this whole thing. Like, yeah, don't do this. But if you get in a situation, here's what you can, you know, like, yeah, jeez. So. Steve jumps back into the boat. He gets on Agro's back. He's got all this stuff, you know, that he's trying to cover the croc's head. And he gets it covered. He fires up the boat. He makes his way back. And he said that while he was going along, the croc was thrashing so violently that Steve thought the boat was just going to rattle apart. So then he gets back to the camp and he manages to get the one ton croc secured and restrained. And he's got this giant ass croc in front of him. And he's like, well, how am I going to get him 
to the park. I'm guessing a leash won't. You know, like, I don't think that aggro was going to be like, yeah, all right, I'll take this W. Yeah, he's like, have you, uh, have you heard my name though? It's, so it's aggro. Yeah. So probably no, dude. So he goes to a nearby farm. He gets some farm hands to come and help out. And when they get there, they're like, ah, no, 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 no. So they just leave because they're like, he's too big. I don't even think so. Best of wishes to you. Yeah. Guess who doesn't want to die today? Yeah. That's me. So bye. So he ends up getting a front end loader and he transports Agro back to the park. And that's just one story of the countless that are out there about Steve and the links he would go to to help animals in need. I mean, because the other option, like he was just like, if I don't help this crocodile, they're going to kill him. And I cannot have that happen. Like, at least this way, he is in a protected environment. Hmm. So Steve's adventure with Agro was in 1988, and by 1990, he had captured over 100 crocs and relocated them. Some were taken back to the reptile park, but the vast majority of them were released back into the wild, just away from people. In 1991, Bob and Lynn had decided that Steve was able to step up and continue their efforts regarding the park. Steve was beyond excited and wanted nothing more than to show his parents that they made the right choice in trusting him. His goal was to make the park the premier wildlife park, not just in Australia, but anywhere in the world. One of his first actions was to rename the park, and that's when Australia Zoo was born into existence. And with the name change, Steve also wanted something to set them apart and draw crowds. So that's where Steve started to perfect the crocodile shows at the park. He wanted to do something that would thrill the visitors, but more importantly, get them talking. And one of his main goals was just to educate people that came in. He would be front and center with these dangerous creatures, but to him, it was just another day of doing what he loved. And like, you literally cannot watch him do anything with an animal and not see the absolute love, enthusiasm, sincerity of all of this, like, that he has for them. Absolutely. There was just no way around it. And like, people were just drawn to him. Everybody was drawn to him. I mean... Mm -hmm. The attendance numbers at the Australia Zoo began to rise and it quickly became a destination for families. Like the word got out and people were like, I, ha- I want to go to there. Yes. And I can't blame them because I would not, I would be beside myself if I had the chance to see Steve Irwin in person. You know oh what I mean? my gosh. Yeah. Andrew, my husband studied abroad in Australia, but this was in like 2000, what, 10? Yeah. So Steve had already passed away. Um, but he went to Australia Zoo twice because like he said they literally got off the plane when they got there and took a, bu- a bus straight there. So they went there and then his sister came. He stayed on for a few weeks after and his sister came to go that few weeks with him. And so when she got there, he went with her too. So he was like, I went twice. He was like, it was incredible. I can't even imagine. Yeah. And while watching one of the, it was the episode for crocodile hunter the show and it's called steve's story and he said that like wrestling with crocs or doing anything with with crocs um he said he was keener than mustard (laughs) i don't know what that means but i love it yeah he's just so like like there was one interview with him where he's just like i don't understand why i have to sleep like why can't i film stuff at night i just can't do enough like i wake up just fired up yeah you know like i just go all the time it's all i want to do i just i wish i didn't have to sleep like I wish I was that kind of person. I know. I You look at that and I'm just like, I wish I had that much enthusiasm for like anything. Right. Golly. I wish I had the kind of enthusiasm that kids have about bubbles. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. Or boxes, empty boxes. Balloons, yeah. Yeah. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Far away from Steve in Australia, Terry Rains was born in Eugene, Oregon. She was the youngest of three girls, and her parents, Clarence and Judy, were environment- environmentalists. Mm-hmm. That's a toughie. Yeah. The family owned a long-haul trucking business, and all through their, her childhood, Terry's father would constantly be bring home injured animals that he would find along the highways as he drove his big rig. From an early age, this instilled a love in Terry for animals and helping in rehabilitating them. In 1996, while working within the family business, Terry started a rehabilitation facility and named it Cougar Country. Her goal was to rehab and release predator animals like foxes, raccoons, bears, bobcats, and cougars. Not very long after she started her business, she was handling upwards of 300 animals per year. In 1989, Terry must have thought that she didn't have enough on her plate, so she started to work in an emergency veterinary hospital as a vet tech. Her goal was to learn any and everything she could about caring for the different kinds of animals that came through her doors. And at this time, Terry was helping her father run their family trucking business, running cougar country and rehabilitating animals, working as a vet tech at an emergency hospital. She also took care of her own pets at home, which included 15 cats, 15, (laughs) several birds, and a dog. Darn. Terry was literally all over the place and she tried to help anyone that she could. In 1991, Terry had ventured down to Australia and after visiting different wildlife rehab facilities to try to find a home for some cougars, one of those facilities happened to be the Australia Zoo. While she was at the zoo, Terry, like many others, decided to take in the croc show. And that was the first time that she saw Steve. Steve and Terry had done a segment with 60 Minutes Australia and they were asked about their meeting. And here's (laughs) what Terry said about the first time she saw him. 
She said, quote, my jaw was on the ground. I couldn't believe this guy. And I thought, I've got to meet him. Then he walked over to the feed bucket and he grabbed another food item out of the bucket. And as he bent over, I went, hmm, I really got to get to know this guy. <laughs> and he's like, or like, I don't know. I was I was surprised to hear Terry say that because I, I kind of always viewed her as like more serious. Yeah. And like, I was surprised that she was like checking out his butt. <laughs> talking about it. <laughs> well, I mean, they definitely had a very playful relationship yeah. on the Crocodile Hunter yeah. show. So, yeah, I love that, though. So, I mean, obviously, she was joking a little bit about their first meeting, but Steve also talked about the first time he saw Terry, and he saw a lass in the crowd and couldn't take his eyes off of her. And he thought to himself, I need to talk to her after the show. So the show ends, and lo and behold, he saw Terry hanging around. Steve said it was love at first sight, and they had a whirlwind romance. Within four months of meeting, they were engaged. Eight months later, on June 4th, 1992, they were married back in Oregon, where Terry was from. And after they married, they returned to Australia to live. I mean, okay. To me, like, you know, lots of people believe lots of different things. I believe in God. I feel like that was like, God put them together. Mm -hmm. She met him in Australia. There's no possible way they would have met. No. You know, if she had not gone to Australia and seen that crocodile show. And also, for Steve Irwin to find somebody who is that passionate about animals, like, as much as he is. I mean, I'm sure there's lots of people who are passionate about animals, but, like, well, I and come at up, that moment in his, their lives, yes. yeah, too. It's, like, it's all about timing. It's all about, yes. and, yeah, for them to be, like, literally made for each other. I know. They literally were made for each other. Like, mm-hmm. it's just incredible. Oh, it gives me chills. I know. We're both going to cry. Mm-hmm. In 2018, Terry spoke about the couple's planned honeymoon. The original plan had been to have a nice beachy honeymoon getaway. Those plans quickly changed when they received a phone call from Australia about some guy, some bad guy who was going to shoot a crocodile. She said that they were asked to go out and try to save the croc, but while they were there, maybe they could film it. So they set out, went to the harsh Australian outback, and this was Terry's first real trip out there and her first croc hunt. She was scared, but she trusted in Steve and knew that, they, that he would keep her away from danger. It was really sweet too, like seeing some of the footage from that because she said in the, you know, filming, she's like, I'm scared. And he's like, that's okay. That's okay. Like they were just so sweet. I know. John Stainton. Mm-hmm. Oh, I kept calling him Robert. I don't know why I did. He looks like that. a Robert. I could see that. Joined Terry and Steve on this rescue mission as the person behind the camera filming as they went along. In the end, they captured the croc and got some great footage, including Terry's first encounter with a six-foot red-bellied black snake. That footage was edited together and eventually became the first episode of The Crocodile Hunter. In 1996, Australian TV was the first place that The Crocodile Hunter was seen. And the next year, it made its way to the U.S. via Animal Planet. Thank God that was my fucking show. That and Emergency Vets, I was all about it. Alameda East, loved I mean, Animal Planet, too. Like, I remember when we got that channel, and I was like, oh, this is badass. Like, mm-hmm. all animals still, all the time. The Puppy Bowl? Oh, get out of here. Puppy Bowl, come on. <laughs> and there's a show called Too Cute. Yeah, oh my God, Too Cute. <laughs> yes, oh, it was so cute. It was too cute. It was too cute. Oh, my God, those cute little They knew babies. what they were doing. I know. Yeah. The show was hosted by Stephen Terry and aimed to educate people about different animals throughout the world. In the event that Terry wasn't able to be in the show from time to time, Steve's longtime friend and described, quote, right-hand man, Wes Mannion, would be on screen with him. I did not remember Wes. Did you? I didn't. Okay. 
The show became insanely popular, obviously. Over the course of several years, it was aired to Australia, the US, UK, and over 130 other countries. It's said to have reached over 500 million people. Steve's over-the-top personality and exuberant presenting style won people over quickly. The show would air 64 episodes over the course of five seasons and 13 specials. Including the specials, it would be on the air for 11 years. And it was also just so different Mm -hmm. from any other wildlife shows there were before because before it was that very like, here, we see the, you know, whatever, from super far away. Everybody's a super safe distance. You could do a lot worse than David Attenborough. Well, sure, but it was just, that's what everybody was used to. And then Steve Irwin comes on the scene and he's like, crikey! And he jumps right <laughs> on top of it and he's like, it bit me! And like, you know, you're just like, oh my God. Yes. <laughs> this is so dangerous. Well, and he paved the way for a lot of other people like that because I remember there was this guy, I don't know if he had his own show or if he just did segments. He was definitely on Jackass and his name was Manny. Hmm. And he was always like holding fucking, what are those turtles called? Alligator snapping turtles? I don't know. They're There's massive. a lot of different kind of turtles. And he would, well, that's <laughs> that's true. And that's what I would like to get into in a, just a second. Okay. Different kinds of turtles for There's $200. snapping turtles. There's Galapagos turtles. There's, There's box turtles. Loggerhead turtles. There's alligator snapping turtles. Uh-huh. All kind of turtles. Sure. Yeah. Sea turtles. (laughs) 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 But anyway, Steve paved the way for this kind of... For Manny's turtle holding. (laughs) (laughs) That's what it was called. (laughs) It was called Manny's turtle holding. Now it's time for Manny's turtle holding. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. And then some like theme song like Pappy Drew it came on. Pappy Pappy Land. Pappy, Pappy drew it. Oh my gosh. Turtle. Oh, I love it. Yeah. Or like the possum. So what was it called? Like uh, something possum park on Goofy Movie. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the Crocodile Hunter wasn't the only show that the Irwins were involved in. It spawned a few other shows over the years, Croc Files and the Crocodile Hunter Diaries. And by this time, the Irwins were a household name. Steve had been asked to appear as himself in the movie Dr. Doolittle 2. And then that opened the door to a movie of his own, The Crocodile Hunter Collision Course in 2002. I remember that. Steve and his family appeared in Wiggly Safari, along with Australian children's group The Wiggles. <laughs> yummy, yummy, <laughs> yummy, yummy fruit salad. <laughs> Fruit salad. That's like all I can think of with the Wiggles. <laughs> Fucking fruit salad. Yes. It is pretty yummy, though. It's a catchy song, too. Oh, I just, yeah, I don't sure know is. why. It's like as soon as you hear it, you're just like, I know that song for the rest of my life now. <laughs> <laughs> they had some bops. Oh, sure. Yeah. Sure they did. Yeah. No cap. Oh. <laughs> See, whenever I say bop, I think of bop it. Bop it. Twist mm. it. Pull it. I don't know. I'm just, I'm just too old for this shit. Yeah, I don't know what no cap means really, but I think it's like no lie. Okay. So maybe I said it right. Maybe you did, but um why don't we just no 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 baby no 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 don't lie. Why can't we just do that? That takes so long. But it's more funner. Wow. Don't that poor me. Yeah. Okay. He also lent his voice to the movie Happy Feet. I love that movie. 
He's a dirty trash can full of poop. But that's not Happy Feet. That surfs up. Oh my gosh. <laughs> you got penguins, right? But that's not Yeah, you. penguins. I still did like Happy Feet. I never I saw Happy Feet. What? Maybe I didn't either. Because <laughs> I think you can fucking the other surfs one. up. Whoopsie. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I'm sure it was a great movie. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> but that was released after his death. Throughout the years, Stephen Terry appeared in several shows and specials, educating people about so-called dangerous animals. No, I think we can call them dangerous. Yeah, I think they're dangerous. Yeah. On July 24th, 1998, Stephen Terry welcomed their first child, Bindi Sue Irwin. Bindi was named in typical Steve Irwin fashion. Her first name was taken from Steve's favorite female croc in the zoo, while her middle name was in honor of the family dog, Suey. And she is precious. Oh my gosh, she's precious. As young as two years old, Bindi began to appear in TV shows and specials along with Stephen Terry. She also hosted her own show, Bindi the Jungle Girl, uh, along with her dad. And prior to his death in 2006, Steve had filmed several episodes which aired after his death. Bindi was so freaking cute. And their little relationship, like him talking about her. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh, she's just like, she's amazing. Like he just was head over heels for his kids. Like, it was so sweet. And he, like, made a joke. He's like, I think it might keep her. (laughs) It's so funny. So cute. On December 1st, 2003, the Irwins welcomed Robert Clarence Irwin into the fold. I almost said field. I don't know why. And the field. Why don't you know just regular sayings today? I know. I'm... I don't know. Robert was named after Steve and Terry's father. So, Bob was Steve's dad. Clarence was Terry's dad, so Robert Clarence. Get it? Robert was also brought (laughs) into the family business just like his sister before him. So both children were and are still heavily involved in the Australia Zoo. Robert hosted TV shows and specials alongside Bindi and Terry. And as Robert got older, it became apparent that he was just a chip off the old block when it came to Steve. He is a spitting image of Steve and took over for him when it came to his late night appearances. Whenever a late night show needed someone to come on and show some animals, Steve was always a great guest because of his exuberant personality. And a few years after Steve's death, Robert began to do the same with just as much enthusiasm. Steve did get into some trouble, though, when Robert was just a little baby. Steve was in the park doing a croc show and held an infant Robert in his arms while feeding the animals. There was some public outrage, and an investigation was opened about the welfare of Bindi and Robert. In the end, though, Steve apologized while he and Terry both defended his actions, saying that Steve was in complete control the whole time. After the incident, a law was passed that said no one who wasn't properly trained or educated could be in a croc cage or, like, you know, croc area. And also children could not be in there. And he would bring Bindi in there with him all the time too. Like he would be holding her when she's like a toddler. Like there was one where he's like holding, you know, the the meat, mm-hmm. the raw meat for this crocodile to jump up and catch. And then he wipes his hand on his pants and then he's like, you know, holding like her. Baby. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, personally, I wouldn't be comfortable with that with my children. But, but we I do also not don't get, get mad at kind of animals. We don't get mad at Steve Irwin. Well, of course not. And like, that's also just not the life we lived, you know? Well, like, yeah. if I was an animal person like Terry, I probably would have been like, yeah, that's fine. Well, yeah. I mean, it's not like we 
actively are around crocodiles, like that would be very jarring for us because we've literally, yeah. I mean, if we see, let's see what 30 feet away, I'd be like, get out. Well, yeah, let's see what happens if a fucking granddaddy long legs comes in here. Jesus. Not, not my kids. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think so. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Steve was also accused in 2004. Animal rights groups said that while filming an episode of The Crocodile Hunter in Antarctica, Steve and the crew got too close to the wildlife, the whales, seals, and penguins, and disturbed them. It was investigated, but no charges or anything were made, and it was dropped. In November of 2003, Steve and the crew were out filming off the coast of Mexico when a call came over the radio about some missing divers. Steve and the crew halted the filming and joined in on the search. And on the second day of the search, kayakers found one of the divers on a small rocky area jutting out from a side of a cliff face. Steve and another person escorted the diver back to their boat. The second diver's body was found a little later that same day. In 2002, Steve and Terry founded the Steve Irwin Conservation Foundation. The foundation would later be renamed Wildlife Warriors Worldwide. Their objective and goals are to protect and enhance the natural environment, to provide information and education to the public and raise awareness of wildlife issues, undertake biological research, research, recommend, and act in the protection of threatened or endangered species, enter into cooperative arrangements with like-minded organizations. Steve was obviously a strong advocate for animals and animal rights. The organizations he established would use funds to buy up huge tracts of land throughout the world, which he referred to as miniature national parks. When asked about fame and money in one interview, he said, quote, 
What good is a fast car or flashy house to me? Absolutely nothing. I've been put on this planet to protect wildlife and wilderness areas, which in essence is going to help humanity. I want to have the purest oceans. I want to be able to drink water straight out of that creek. I want to stop the ozone layer. Ozone. I want to save the world. And, you know, money, money is great. I can't get enough money. You know what I'm going to do with it? I'm going to buy wilderness areas with it. Every single cent I get goes into conservation. And guess what, Charles? I don't give a rip whose money it is, mate. I'll use it and I'll spend it on buying land. Ain't no kind of man unless you got land. For animals. Right. Yeah. He's just like, you know, I don't care who gives it to me. It spends the same, you know, like Mm -hmm. (laughs) whatever. The thing is, though, when you see like, how Steve spoke about environmentalism and protecting animals, wildlife. You could tell that he believed in what he was doing with every ounce of his being. He was a true friend and advocate to the animal kingdom throughout the world. uh, Now we're to the part that I've been dreading this whole time. Yeah. Sorry it fell on you. In September of 2006, Steve and his crew were out filming around the Great Barrier Reef. The weather had been terrible for filming for a few days, and Steve was getting antsy. One day, they caught a break, and Steve decided to set out on a small boat with a cameraman and trusted friend, Justin Lyons. They had set out with the intention of trying to film for the docuseries they were working on, Ocean's Deadliest. They were trying to find... (laughs) Deadliest. (laughs) No, 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 no. They were trying to find sharks, sea snakes, box jellyfish, octopi, octopus. Yeah, I don't know. And other things like that. So basically the things in the ocean that make people be like, eh, eh, I'm gtfo mm-hmm. Yeah, no. Mm-mm. This particular day, they were trying to find tiger sharks. They had been out in the smaller boat for a few minutes before they came across a massive eight-foot-wide stingray. Upon seeing it, they decided that they could take the opportunity to film a few shots for a different show they were working on. They had swam with rays numerous times before with no issue. And looking back, Lion said it was a very impressive creature. They were in about chest deep water when they slipped over the side of the boat into the ocean. They made a plan on what to film and went about it. After a few minutes, they got the shots they wanted and decided they wanted one last shot with the ray before uh, between them so it would show the ray up front with Steve in the background. The sun was on Steve's back that day. Justin was filming as Steve approached from behind the ray. Suddenly, the ray kind of propped itself with its front facing down, and its back end going up and started stabbing wildly with its tail. Lion said it must have stabbed hundreds of times within a few seconds, and not knowing what happened, though, Justin filmed the ray as it swam away. He then panned back over to Steve and saw that he was surrounded by a cloud of blood. Hmm. Justin said that initially he thought, we've got to get out of this water because the blood will attract sharks. Steve stood up in the water and said, it's punctured my lung. Within seconds, he and Steve were out of the water and back into the small boat that had been motoring by. Justin said that he took about five seconds to assess the situation, and he saw that Steve had about a two-inch gash on his chest over his heart with the blood flowing out. They knew they had to get him back to the main boat, Croc 1, ASAP. Justin said that Steve was in excruciating pain. He knew that Steve had an insane high threshold for pain, so if Steve was in this much pain, it had to have been very, very intense. What they didn't know at the time was that the barb from the ray hadn't punctured Steve's lung. It had punctured the thoracic cavity of his heart. Many people think that the barb of a ray is on the end of its tail, but it's not. It's more in the middle. This ray had a barb that was about a foot long. And Justin said... A foot long. A foot long. 
Justin said that contrary to what he had seen reported by people, the barb didn't break off or anything. He also said that even if they had been able to get him to an emergency room that second, the chances of Steve surviving were almost zero because of the damage that was done to his heart. As they were going back to the boat, Justin was talking to Steve, telling him to think of his kids and Terry. Just hold on. At a certain point, Steve looked back up at Justin and said, I'm dying. Those were his last words. They got him back to the Croc One and Justin started CPR right away. They did CPR for over an hour until they were able to get him to medics. Within 10 seconds of seeing him, though, the medics pronounced him dead. I'm going to cry. Oh, my God. They literally, like, I mean, they did CPR for an hour. They did everything they could. And it just, that's just so sad. It's so sad. Hmm. Justin said that the way the ray reacted, he suspected that as Steve approached from behind it, it saw his shadow and thought it was a predator like a tiger shark, which caused the attack as it did. So just like that, the crocodile hunter was taken out by one of the world's most gentle creatures. A private funeral was held on September 9th, 2006. A public memorial service was held in Australia Zoo's 5,500-seat crocosium hmm. on September 30th, 2006. The service was broadcast live, and it was estimated that it was seen by over 300 million viewers worldwide. Steve had a rule when filming, never stop filming. The attack and subsequent efforts to save Steve's life were all captured. The film was given to Queensland police, police for their investigation, and there was speculation that the footage would be included in with the world's, with the ocean's deadliest docuseries. The Discovery Network came out and denied that, saying that the tape would never see the light of day. John Staten, who was on Croc One that day, said that he had seen the footage and that no one should ever see it. That would be just fucking awful. Uh, yeah. If they released that. I mean, that would just be evil, honestly. It's terrible. Yeah. And it's similar to the Grizzly Man tapes with Timothy Treadwell and his then-girlfriend, Amy Huginard. They were attacked and killed by a bear while living among them. And Grizzly Man is a 2005 documentary by Werner Herzog about Treadwell living in the wild among grizzly bears. He and his girlfriend were attacked by a bear and Treadwell tried to film but didn't get the lens cap off, so there's only audio. And I have heard, I know someone who has listened to it. I could and will never do that. I I just could never do that. Upon listening to the audio, Herzog, the documentarian, told Timothy's friend who hadn't listened to it yet, you must never listen to this. He then advised her to destroy it for her own well-being. Cannot even imagine. By January of 2007, the police investigation had finished and every copy of the tape was destroyed destroyed except for one. That tape was given to Terry. Terry told Access Hollywood in 2007 that the final tape was also destroyed. After his death, Steve was given numerous honors, including November 15th being named Steve Irwin Day. There have been new specials of animals discovered named in his honor. A vessel from the Sea Shepherd Conservation Society was named after him. In 2018, a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame was unveiled for Steve. Perhaps one of the best ways to close out talking about Steve Irwin is a story from Dr. Jamie Seymour, the world-renowned toxicologist and professor at James Cook University. He was approached by a friend who helped about helping out when they started to film for Ocean's Deadliest. Initially, the friend didn't tell him who he would be filming with, and after a few months of back and forth, he finally told him it was Steve Irwin. Dr. Seymour said that at that point, he was going to back out. But when the friend asked why, he said, because Steve's an idiot. 
He told a story of Steve's documentaries, and when Steve did something stupid, you take a drink, by the end of the show, you were completely trashed. Steve took some time out and went to talk to Dr. Seymour himself, though, and Steve took him out on Croc 1 and explained what his plan was for the docuseries and what he wanted to help with, or what he wanted help with. Seymour said, Steve, do you realize that people think you're an absolute moron? And Steve said, yeah. And Jamie asked, well, are you? Steve said, Jamie, do you watch my shows? To which Jamie said, not really, but a couple here and there. And Steve asked why he watched, and Jamie said, to see what you're going to do wrong. And that's when Steve said, gotcha. The moment I've got you hooked in to see if I'm going to do anything wrong, I can tell you anything, and you're going to remember it. Seymour said that that's when he remembered or what he remembered about Steve. He would put himself out there as this crazy dude, but you always remember Crocs rule, save Crocs in conservation. I mean, yeah. You know, people obviously made fun of him. There's SNL skits. There's like all kinds of stuff, you know. Mm -hmm. And he was just like, whatever. Like you can say what you want to, but you learned something. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, if we're talking about the see what you're going to do wrong aspect, people learn by seeing. Mm-hmm. Okay, they know not to do that now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I also read that um, November 15th being Steve Irwin Day, because like, you know, that's not his birthday. It was because it was like his, one of his favorite like Crocs birthdays or something. Like it was something like that. So I can't, can't remember what it is. Yeah, so they were like, that's when we should do it. Love it. I miss him a lot. Yeah, he was just a light. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, so definitely a different uh, thing, but I don't know. We just loved him. Yeah, of course. Still do. And he was just such a big part of like our childhood, like mm-hmm. and so many people's childhoods. Yeah, it's just growing up. I mean, it's like, I don't know. <laughs> Everybody knew who Steve Irwin was yeah. and you either loved him or you loved to hate him. It didn't matter. You knew who he was. I don't feel like I've ever talked to anybody who was like, oh, I hate Steve Irwin. I don't either. But apparently, you know, Dr. Seymour did. Yeah. Well, and a lot of, I I did read, you know, that a lot of Australians didn't like him. Yeah. He was like not nearly as popular there. But, well, you know. I hate that because I loved him. Yeah. And like we were talking before we recorded and it's like, Terry, like, what do you do? Like once you've married Steve Irwin... Who's the next love of your life after? Like, what do you, there is how do you? no way to compare. No. Like, he is just such, he was so larger than life. I just was like, going to say that. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's just like, what do you do? That's just mm-hmm. it. Right. So that's it, guys. That's it. We hope you enjoyed this episode. We're not going to do a lot of stuff that's not murder. This may be the only thing we ever do that's not murder, but. You know, it's just, it's never 200. We wanted to give it, give it something special. And I really feel like you're just completely ignoring the fact that he was murdered by that stingray. Well, that's true. That's true. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't guess there was a trial. Well, there wasn't. I mean, and that's kind of crazy. Maybe it's because there was video and they were like, case closed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Maybe he just played guilty and that was the end of it. Maybe. King tried to plea deal. You're done. <laughs> I mean, who who runs? Well, the Ursula courts? would have been his lawyer, oh. and then it's a mess because now it's personal. Yep. Yeah. 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 Ursula stuff, man. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah. So, and you know what? We just want to thank you guys because what? How? What is life that we're 200 episodes into this? I mean, I cannot even 
so beyond grateful, honestly. Like we did not ever think that this was going to become this kind of show. We thought it was going to be a hobby that only Miss KB listened to. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And now here we are. Mm-hmm. I get to make this my full-time job. I mean, this is, it's just, it's amazing. And it's, thank you guys so much. Yes, honestly. Thank you. We love you guys. Yes. Cannot do it without you. But um, we hope you like this episode and we'll catch you on the next one. Bye. Bye. Oh my God, you guys, it's our 200th episode and what? we have more shout outs. Yay. What a fun day. I know. It's exciting. So, um, you know, hey girl, thanks to Anna, Carly O'Neill, Tiny, Bo Doin, China Steve, Brittany Crow, Carrie, Cinda Sharp, Edna Ripley, Mackenzie St. Clair, Jessica Greaves, Jocelyn Lopez, Rebecca Flowers, Sam Kelly, Courtney McGuire, Cassidy Wallace, Amy Ryder, Brooke Bauer, Christy, Olive, oh, Olive Oil. Stop it. <laughs> Denise, Maddie Abair, Leah, Cedric, Jamie Navarro, Paige Key, Samantha Surma, Bree Denman, Christopher Wright, Kessa, Ezra, Nicolette Evani, Debbie Thompson, Lauren Munson, Taylor Doobie, Anne Charlotte Cruz, Katie Lister, Chrissy Kuhn, hey girl, Mindy Plymail, and Kristen Bain. Yay, thank you guys so much. We love you. We love you. Couldn't do it without you. Oh thank God. you. Bye. Bye. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this case. Connect with us on Instagram or Facebook to continue the conversation. Thanks for listening and we will meet you back here next week. Bye. The theme song for the show is created and composed by Stephen Toby. You can find more of Stephen's work on SoundCloud. Our logo was created by Sloan Williams of Sophisticated Crayon. You can find more of her work on Etsy. Visit us at killerqueenspodcast.com for merch and other info about the show. What does the word yeet mean? What if it's a bomb? And he's like, the f- Ooh, oh, shit. He is a retired... Reti- mm. On September 12th, 19... 19- no. It's his right to have a lawyer president, but... Oh. President? <laughs> oh, my. In February of 2009... Nine. I don't... Yep. While they were playing, her brother briefly left her alone was a 2,000-acre exotic animal farm. The second 911 call is placed. That's just three letters. Okay, (laughs) you see how hard it is? Okay. That's just three letters, you fucking idiot. All right, so around two hours or so south of east, or southeast (laughs) of, shut up. Ow! Sheesh. Are you okay? Shut the shit out of me. And immediately began having fun, socializing, and drinking. I know, you know, his dad was like, you thog-heaving son of a bitch. (laughs) Oh, I said (laughs) thog-heaving. Damn it. (laughs) The horrific. Mm. You already have the unibrow. (gasps) Oh. Well, that was rude.
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.